So, since it is Father's Day, I wanted to uh, first recognize our dads. If you are a father, would you please stand up? We've got a few here. All right. Stay up. No, stay up. <laughs> I just wanted to say thanks on behalf of uh, the church community for all you do for your families and for the church. I wanted to thank you for providing for the physical needs of your family. I want to thank you for um, providing an example to your children. I want to thank you for being faithful to your marriage vows. I want to thank you for um, praying for your children's salvation and giving them a Christian education. Amen? Amen. Let's recognize the dads again. You can be seated. So today I want to look at our Heavenly Father, because He's the ultimate example of a, uh, for our fathers who can look at Him to find, find what they ought to be. Um, and also there's lessons for all of us when we look at our Heavenly Father. L- look at James 1. In James 1, starting in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man, or woman, who endures temptation... For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First thing we see here about our Heavenly Father is that he is pure, or he we could say that he is holy. Notice that Uh, James says that with our Father, who he says is the Father of lights, he says there is no variation or shadow of turning. That is to say, God has no dark side. No dark side. You know, the moon has a dark side, and it's always dark. It's kind of odd, isn't it? But the way that it rotates, there's always, the same side is always dark. So when I think of the moon, it's bright. But in fact, it has a dark side. God has no dark side. God has no shadow. God isn't good some of the time and not good at other times. He is always good because his character is pure. That's what we mean by saying his character is holy. In him there is no shadow, no darkness at all. In 1 John 1, we'll come back to James and want you follow me, follow along with me. In 1 John 1, John's talking about our Father, and he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, John could have said that God is light, but he didn't leave it there. He says God is light, but there's no darkness in him. And this is important because in ancient philosophy, and even today in some Eastern philosophies, you could assert that God was light. 
but that God was also darkness. Because in, in some Eastern philosophies, they, they have what is called dualism, that the ultimate reality isn't goodness, but it's both goodness and badness, good and evil, darkness and light. So, so John emphasizes by saying that God is not just light, but God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we say we walk in fellowship with him, we must walk in the light. Why? Because he is light. Look at Matthew 5.48. Jesus is talking about our Father. He's talking about his Father in Matthew chapter 5. He, uh, in Matthew 5, starting in verse 43, he's, he's teaching us to love our enemies. Now, a lot of us can't even love our friends very well, but, uh, right? He says in 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Then notice this, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, notice this, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So when we speak of God as the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow, there's no variation or turning, we mean that God is good. He does not do evil, He is not evil, and He does not lead into evil. Amen? He's perfect in His character, He is perfect in His judgments, and He is perfect in all of His ways. As Pilate said of Jesus, so we could say of the Father, I find no fault in him. And the lesson, of course, for fathers is that we our first duty as dads is really our own personal holiness. Because everything else flows from this. Proverbs chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Well-known scripture, but it's, it's worth reading again. In this text, a father is actually exhorting his son. But it's equally an exhortation to fathers. It's an exhortation really to all Christians. And he says in verse 20, he says of chapter 4, My son, give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them where? In the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it spring the issues of life. Then he mentions the mouth, the lips, the eyes, the feet. All of these things flow out of the heart. Dads, we need to remember that we pass on to our children not just our lessons, but our very life. Our character permeates our home and it creates an atmosphere that our children breathe. Our character is like the the sculptor's chisel, if you will, that gives form to the marble with every tap. 
So we need to keep our heart because out of it flows the issues of life. What we do reveals who we really are. Not what we say, but what we do. What we are in our heart determines what we do with our money, what we do with our leisure time, how we serve in the church, how we love our wives, our family, our neighbors. We have to remember Jesus' very simple principle. It's the root to fruit principle. Or as Jesus put it, you know a tree, how? By its fruit. A certain kind of tree will always produce a certain kind of fruit. So a certain kind of heart will always produce a certain kind of life. Paul gave this counsel to Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy 4. Now this is an exhortation to a church leader, but it's it's really a, a, a great exhortation to dads also. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He says, let no one despise your youth. Now, Timothy was probably about Mike Bond's age. Seriously. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you, by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. And notice this. Meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them that your progress, notice this, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to what? Verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save whom? yourself and those who hear you. Notice the emphasis on yourself. So, it's true of church leaders, but it's equally true of dads that our primary focus must be first on ourselves, not in a selfish way, but in a selfless way. Understanding that our spiritual progress, our spiritual character will overflow and affect all of those in our household, mainly our children. So our Heavenly Father is good, He's pure, He's holy. But He's also generous. He's also generous. If you go back to our original passage in James, when uh, James calls God the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning, he says in the same verse, in James 1, Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And James notes two gifts here, particularly one, that God gave us the word of truth. And secondly, that through that word of truth, he gave us the new birth. We were born again from him. But God has given us so much more, amen? than those two things. But those two things are kind of a summary, if you will, of God's goodness and His his generosity toward His children. Jesus highlights uh, the spiritual gifts, I mean, excuse me, the physical gifts that God gives His children in Matthew chapter 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, He talks about God providing for His children. And look what He says. In Matthew 
I said seven, I mean six. Chapter six, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And uh, some some translators would say, add one uh, year to your life. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father, he knows that you need all of these things. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first, and he will add these things unto you. So Jesus here tells us to look at nature and learn a lesson. And the lesson is that God is our provider. Amen? And he will provide for all of our physical needs If we put him and his kingdom first. And he does this because he's generous. He likes to give good gifts to his children. But he also gives us many spiritual blessings. Look at Psalm 103. One of my favorite psalms. I read it often. Psalm 103. And of course, you know, there's so many texts related to God's goodness and generosity. that We could literally spend all morning talking just on this point. Psalm 103, verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits, who forgives your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Why does God do this? Why does God uh, save us? Why does God bless us? Why does God provide for us? Why does He forgive us? Why does He heal us? Why does He redeem us? He does it because He's generous. And He likes to give good gifts to His children. Or as the psalmist says right here in verse 8 of 103, the Lord is merciful And he is gracious. He's slow to anger and he is abounding in mercy. And as fathers, we also ought to give good things to our children. It's obvious that we should be giving our children physical provision. Food, clothing, medical care, etc. Now I say this is obvious, but not all fathers do this. Because some fathers are selfish. I had a lady in my office years ago who said, my children need clothing. My children literally need new shoes. My children need to go to the doctor, but my husband won't give me any money. He claims we can't afford it. Yet he went out the other day and he bought a big stereo system for the living room. He's got a nice car, but my kids can't get new clothes. This was a professing Christian. Well, the problem, of course, is that his dad was selfish, right? 
Dad had the checkbook. Dad controlled the bunny. And Dad uh, saw to it that his needs and wants were taken care of. But his children's needs and wants were way, way down on the priority list. That ought not to be with Christian fathers. Amen? They should uh, elevate the needs of their family above their own needs and their own wants. Secondly, God, uh, Dad should be giving their children not just physical provision, but spiritual blessings. They should be generous in the spirit, if you will. What do I mean by that? For example, dads ought to be praying and interceding for their children on a regular basis, a daily basis. Dads should be instructing and encouraging their children in the word of God on a regular basis. Dads should be verbally blessing and affirming their children and not cursing them. I think one of the most important things that dads should do for their children in terms of uh, being generous is they need to give their children time and attention. Time and attention. Um, I think one of the things that we need to do as fathers is we need to not just love our kids, we need to learn to like them. Because you can love people you don't like. Did you know that? You're probably thinking a lot of people in this room I don't really like, but... I love them. I love them in Jesus, right? It's true. You can love people you don't like. You can serve them. You can sacrifice for them. But you wouldn't call them up and hang out with them because you don't particularly like them. And unfortunately, I think some parents feel that way about their children. They'll sacrifice for them, but they don't necessarily like to be around them. They don't like to hang out together, if you will. So we need to learn to give our children our time and our attention, and we need to learn not just to love them, but to like them. We need to find out who they really are, what they really think. This means we need to listen when they talk. And and dads, uh, we're, we're not good at this. A lot of dads are not good at listening to anybody, quite frankly, and especially their kids. We need to learn to find out what their hopes and fears are. We need to learn to value their thoughts and opinions. We need to learn to show our children respect by listening to them and treasuring what they think and what they say. Let me ask you a question. What is God's greatest gift to us? I know some of you are going to say Jesus. I taught a Bible class years ago, and one of my students, uh, I would give these tests, you know, and about every other answer was, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. What's God's greatest gift to us? Himself. Exactly. It's not just that we're forgiven. It's not just that we're going to heaven. It's not just that we're redeemed. But, but when we think of salvation and we think of all the many components of salvation, it's like a pyramid. And we have all these bricks that building this thing called salvation. But you know what the pinnacle is? The pinnacle is knowing Him. Jesus said, knowing Him is eternal life. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that the veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place was rent in two. That means that we can come into that holy place where the Shekinah glory dwelt, where God's visible presence was. That's the greatest thing. 
Because that, and that's the culmination and the pinnacle of salvation, that we might know Him and dwell with Him here and forever. And I think likewise, the greatest gift that a father can give his children is himself. To know them and to let them know him. To have a real relationship. And I believe that every child craves that from their father. Amen? And dad, we can give that. But we have to learn to give ourselves. We need to be generous. Thirdly, we need to be compassionate. Compassionate. We won't go back to James 1, but it is interesting that um, later on in chapter 1, after James talks about God having no shadow of turning, um, having no evil, giving us good gifts, he then, he then reminds them of the importance of visiting the widows and the orphans. In other words, God has a heart of compassion for those that are in need. If you're in Psalm 103, we see the psalmist... He says this, he says, He, God, in verse 9, will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy, or His compassion, toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children or shows compassion on his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. Why? For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This compassion that God has enables him to empathize with our pain and with our struggles. Moreover, he comforts us when we are hurting and he encourages us when we're discouraged. He does not scold the suffering and he does not lecture the mourning. He enters our suffering. And when I say that, I mean that literally. Because what the incarnation was, was God literally entering our suffering. Literally and physically. God assuming our nature Entering in this veil of tears that we call the world, this place of suffering. And by this means, he became not only our high priest, but the word of God says he became our sympathetic high priest. Sympathetic, compassionate high priest. He himself took our infirmities and he bare our diseases. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were a sheep without a shepherd. And it's said of him, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking or flickering wick he will not quench. The lesson for dads, of course, is we need to enter into our children's struggles. And we need to not break their spirit. In Colossians 3.21, if you turn there with me, we have a... Exhortation to fathers. And in Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Discouraged. How is it that dads can 
fail to show compassion and, they, and thereby dishearten their children? Well, there are many ways. Let me just briefly mention a couple. One is unrealistic expectations. A child of 14 is not going to have the maturity of a man of 40. It doesn't work that way. And I think many parents, especially when they have very young children, have unrealistic expectations. And they set standards that are way uh, too high. And what's happening is they're inadvertently, and their intentions may be very good and right, but they're inadvertently setting their children up for failure. If you expect your children to be perfect, you will be disappointed. If you expect your children never to sin, you will be disappointed. They will sin. They will fail. And we need to be realistic about our expectations for our children, um, especially when they're young. Because I know many adults that aren't mature. Not really. So how is it that we expect tweens or teens to be mature? It takes time and experience, training in the Word, uh, God dealing with their souls, It takes time to grow. And so you need to be realistic in what you expect in terms of your children and what kind of fruit you expect to see. We also need to beware of being overly critical. Some dads are very, very free with their criticism and very sparing with their affirmation. And this is a mistake. Um, We need to realize that... um, our words carry a great amount of weight with our children, whether they act like it or not. And when we criticize our children all the time, it breaks their spirit. They don't want to try because they don't believe that you'll ever be pleased. And so when when a parent communicates, when a dad communicates that what their children do is never good enough, um, then the children will begin to... um, no longer desire to please the parents or the father because it doesn't matter how hard they try. Their, their parent, and often the dad, is the critical one, but it can be the mom. They'll always find something. Well, you know, that was really good, but there's always a but. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going there right now. Y'all know what I mean, though? And if I, if I, if I asked, if I asked you how many of you have had that experience with your own dad, don't raise your hand, but a lot of hands would go up. The feeling that I'm really not, a, I'm really not approved. I'm tolerated. I'm accepted, but my parents aren't really, or my dad's not really pleased with me. And that's a terrible burden to to live with. And it leads um, not not to a child trying harder, although it may at first. At some point, what it leads to is a child giving up. And then it often leads to rebellion. Because if I can never win, why even bother, right? Why even try? So, 
Dads, let me just remind you of something. Your children are dust. That's what the Word of God says. It says it right here in Psalm 103. God is compassionate toward us, it says, because He remembers that when He formed Adam, He literally took dirt out of the ground. He made him from dust. That's how we were framed. That's how fragile we are in ourselves. And we need to remember that our children are mere dust. But you know what else we need to remember? So are we. And why do we expect perfect children when they don't have a perfect father? And this is the thing that is so damaging about unrealistic expectations and being overly critical is because it implies on the part of the father that he is not a failure, that he would never do such a thing, that he is above sinning, when in fact he is equally dust. Our children are, are, are like hypocrisy meters. They see the difference between our lives and our lectures. So, you do not gain authority and prestige in the eyes of your children by acting like you're above sinning. It doesn't work that way. And when you talk to them in that way, that's what you're communicating. Well, I would never do that. You must be an idiot for doing that. Now, you might not use those words, but that's the attitude. They are dust and so are we. And we need to remember that in our dealings with them. Last thing is our Father, our Heavenly Father disciplines us. Um, Hebrews 12, we'll read this quickly and then we're going to close. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons or, or to children. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Well, you know what? A lot of them. There's a lot of sons who don't get disciplined, unfortunately. But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, meaning God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. No doubt about that. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, I could give a whole sermon or a whole series on this passage, but I just want to make a, a very brief comment. Discipline is a mark of love and should be done in love. When I say it is a mark of love, what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us that if a child is not disciplined, it is a sign that the child is not loved. To leave a child to him or herself is the sure path to destruction. 
So discipline is a good thing. It is a mark of love. But it has to be done in love and in the right spirit. This is why, before saying a word about discipline, it was important for us to talk about the fact that our Father who disciplines us is a Father who's pure, a Father who's generous, a Father who's compassionate. Because when God disciplines us, He's not doing it because He's angry. He's not doing it because He's frustrated with us. He's doing it because He loves us. He loves us. Amen? That's what moves Him. If the, the, let, me, let me tell you this. The worst thing that God could ever do to us is leave us to our own devices. As a matter of fact, when you read Scripture, one of the, one of the great calamities of any people, one of, one of the ways that, the, that they are punished, not chastened, and there's a difference, is when God says, I will give you the fruit of your own doings. I will let you have your way. But that's not what a father does. A father doesn't say, I'll let you have your way. Because he loves his children too much to do that. So chastening is a mark of love. And the goal of it is holiness or the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God's goal in dealing in our lives in ways that are difficult or painful, His goal is to change our heart For out of the heart flows all of the issues of life. When God brings something difficult or painful into our life, it's not so that we, He, it's not that He enjoys us suffering, but rather through these difficult things, He is, He is reaching into our souls and He's changing our hearts to make us more like Himself. That's what He's doing. And so, the lesson for the dads, obviously, is, is of course they should discipline their children, but they need to do it in love, and they need to do it with the right goal. The goal is not to discipline your kids so they don't bother you. It's not to discipline them so you can watch the football game and not be annoyed. That's not the goal. The goal of discipline is to train them in holiness and in righteousness. It's that they would do the right thing before the Lord, not before you, before the Lord. When my kids were really little and I would spank them, although sometimes I still like to, um, uh, um, I would try to explain to them, and I don't know if any of them remember, but I would say, you know, I I, I have to spank you for, for what you're doing. I have to discipline you. Because if I don't spank you, then God's going to spank me. In other words, I'm not doing it because I'm mad. I'm not, no, I'm not saying I never spanked out of anger, ever. Um, you can ask Hannah about that. Um, but the point is, is that, by and large, the attempt was to do it in the Lord and for the Lord. Not for my personal benefit. Not in a selfish way, but an attempt to do it in a selfless way that was for their benefit. Um, Let's conclude. Let me conclude by saying this. Um, Father's Day is a funny day because um, 
A lot of people are conflicted about their own relationship with their fathers. That's one reason. A lot of you had bad dads. I had a bad dad. Um, matter of fact, I never, ever remember growing up, we never celebrated Father's Day. Um, so, I understand that problem. It's also a funny day because I think a lot of dads, um, Christian dads who are actually conscientious and care about these things, they themselves can feel conflicted. Um, they go to church on Father's Day, they hear a sermon like this, and they leave feeling depressed. Because they realize, they, they see the ideal and they realize how much they've not met that ideal. That's how I felt all day yesterday. Um, seriously. Um, so, let me just say a word to that, to the dads. Um, if you feel like a failure, that's probably a good thing in one sense. What I mean by that is, that means you're paying attention. Okay, You're paying attention to the, to the standard, and you're also paying attention to your life. Okay, you're being realistic. Now, it doesn't mean you're failing, but what it means is you're realizing that you're not meeting the ideal. Now, here's the problem for dads. Our ideal is perfect. Our Heavenly Father's perfect. And I, it's, I can see a dad saying, wow, well, gee, thanks. I mean, who can ever reach that? Well, you can never ultimately reach it, but we can continue to grow. Okay, we continue to grow ever more toward the ideal. So, um, but if, so, so if you're looking at the Lord and you're looking at, you know, like, like Paul said to Timothy, you know, look at yourself first, um, you'll realize your shortcomings. And that's, that's what I mean by, that's a good thing. Now, when I say feel like a failure, I don't think you should feel like a failure because I don't think that motivates you. But in order to improve, you have to realize there's an area of improvement. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, people who um, think they're in really good shape don't feel really necessarily like, I have to work out. Now, maybe they want to. But you have to, I mean, you have to see the need in order to be motivated to change. If you think you got it all together, you're like, I don't need to change anything. I'm the greatest dad in the world. Um, well, maybe you are. I'm not. <clears throat> so, I can understand the conflicted feelings of, of dads on Father's Day. And they get cards that say, you're the greatest human being ever created. And you're, you know, the greatest father on the earth. And all the stuff that isn't really true. You know what I mean? I mean, really. Um, so, you're conflicted. You know, you might feel discouraged. I wish I was a better dad. Da, da, da. Two simple words here. As you look back, wherever you're at, I mean, you may still have little kids, you may have teenagers, you may have young adults, you, maybe all your kids are out of the nest. As you look back, there's one word. If you, if you think that you've failed in areas, there's just one word for you, and the word's confession. There's nothing you can do about the past but acknowledge it. You can't go back, but you can't acknowledge it. And if you think, you know what, I, I should have done this, or I could have done this, I wish I had done this, then you know what, you take it to the Lord, you say, Lord, I didn't do that, 
And that just, it is what it is now. And I confess that. And that's a cleansing thing for you. You shouldn't be carrying this sense of failure. It's not good for you. You need to go to the Lord and confess it. That's looking back. What's the word for looking forward? The word for looking forward is actually repentance. You think repentance is looking back, but it's not. Repentance is about looking forward. Because repentance means change. I can look back and feel sorry and sad about how I have not been a better father. But that doesn't mean I'm motivated to be a better father in the future. And the word there is repentance. That is the desire not only to acknowledge my failures, but rather to to determine that I will be better in the future. And that's what I want you to leave with today, Dad. Now, I don't want you to leave here feeling like you got beat up. I want you to feel rather that you were challenged and exhorted to be more like your Heavenly Father in the future. And you can be. You can be. The way to be like your Heavenly Father is to be with your Heavenly Father. It is to know Him. It is to fellowship with Him. It is to immerse yourself in His Word. It is to be filled with His Spirit. It is to draw close to Him. It is to worship Him. It is to pray to Him. Knowing Him is not only the pinnacle and the essence of salvation, but knowing Him is really the thing that makes you more like Him. And so if you want to be a better father, then simply get to know your Heavenly Father better. And this will transform you. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are generous. Lord, you are compassionate. Lord, you are the perfect Father. And I thank you that you father us, that you have given us the new birth, but you've not left us. You're intimately involved in each one of our lives, in each one of our families. You shepherd our lives, Lord. You discipline us and train us. You provide for us physically and spiritually. You're such a good father. And we want to thank you for that. And I want to pray, Lord, for the dads here, that you would continue to give them further revelation of who you are and further revelation of how they can be more like you and their own calling as fathers. I pray for all of us, Lord. I pray for those of us that have father wounds, maybe broken relationships with our fathers or hurts from that relationship. I pray, Lord, for the healing grace of your spirit. And I know from my own experience, Lord, you can heal those very deep wounds. I pray that for any and all here who have need of your healing touch. Thank you, Lord, that you give us good things. And most of all, that you give us yourself. Continue to grant us further revelation of what that means and what that relationship holds for us. I ask your blessing, Lord, on this Father's Day to all the families here. And I ask it in your name. Amen.